Jacob Chastain, mm. I have a question for you. So today, you had a big day today, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't go buy a car like I did. I did not. You uh, used your kids in your presentation today. How'd that go? You had a big old workshop today. (laughs) You used them. (laughs) Did it work? Were the teachers, did they embrace the moment? Yeah, so we did... You know, for people who are kind of paying attention, I went out to Alito ISD here in Texas, where my life mentor is the curriculum head there and of uh, ELA, the the content coordinator, as they say. Um, and it, I was talking about Rightfully Empowered, and I had been scheduled to go out there for a while. And then when summer hit, I was like, man, I'm like really sad. How do I mend this? And I was like, oh, you know what? I wonder if I could get their parents involved and get the kids involved enough to where I could take a few with me to present. Because I see the book as much as theirs as it is mine in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we were able to make it happen. I went out there. We're supposed to go out there with four. I ended up going with three. Um, The other one had to go to Mexico for... A family thing, but um, we went and it was awesome. We had to get there super early. The kids told me that they barely even slept because they were all nervous and excited and everything. But I think it was a big hit. We, you know, I had two sessions that were about an hour and a half, and there were so many things that happened. And we're probably going to talk about it on this podcast because I think it's relevant to uh, our topic today. But the one thing to oh, answer your okay question is was it a success for that the kids and whatnot well we just i just someone just posted on social media um and said it's so funny because people were wanting to take pictures with all the kids they were like stopping and they were like you know they had to stop in the hallway to take a picture and they were all excited to see them in the presentation but this This uh, student said, I loved it. I want to go to Jacob's class and see these kids in action. I absolutely fell in love with the students he brought. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, they're pretty easy to fall in love with. I know them. Yeah. I mean, they're, that's, what's funny is I feel like I have been singing their praises for years at this point. Right. Right. Literally years. And now, because the book's out and because, you know, now that we kind of have this presentation stuff going, I'm hoping to maybe uh, bring out some different kids at a different presentation or maybe the same ones or, you know, if they want to or if it's something to get them exposed to kind of that world of, you know, professionalism and really putting your stuff out there. Um, but now that we're kind of in this process, it's it's just kind of cool because other people get to see what I've been talking about. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. They're they're. They're the greatest people I've ever met. And they, what's really cool is their, their stuff was really impactful because not only were they kind of there as a, to, they, they kind of helped with the workshop, but they also were involved because I wanted them to be honest about how the class worked and what it felt like going into workshop for the first time and how it felt like over time. And I was even, I didn't prep them on any questions. Well, I gave them like the, some of the questions in advance, but I didn't like, so you have to say this. I was like, they're going to, they're, they're going to know if y'all are lying. So you have to be honest to where even when I showed, I had them talk about the, the reflection piece 
of writing pieces. And I was like, kids, do y'all like this? And they were like, no, we do not. Um, <laughs> and so we even had that, but they had fun. They read some of their pieces out loud. Um, their pieces had some other teachers in tears because of what they did. And I'm just like, this is what it is. And it, it was so cool because one of them wrote a new piece. They're like, oh, I'm presenting. I want to write something new because they're all still writing and they're all, Still, you know, they'll send me pieces in Google Docs. I'm like, hey, Chastain, I sent you something new. If you have time, jump through and, like, talk with me about it or whatever. And so it, this, it's, this process is still going. And so I think it was really great. It was fun to to bring them into that world a little bit. Um, and then kind of the biggest thing about it was I said my previous teacher who was there, Hammer, um, her – she was the reason essentially that I survived high school slash became a teacher. She's my life mentor. So it was cool to have her there. And so I was her legacy. And then I got to bring them. So we have this wonderful picture of all of us together. And it's just this generational teacher kind of vibe. And one more connection. One of the students was at the elementary school that Hammer was the AP at for a little bit. So really? she, yeah. So they, they kind of knew each other a little bit. Um, which we did not know. So it was all these connections in a bunch of different ways. So it was exciting. I would say it was, it was, it was quite the time. Well, that's awesome. Pretty cool. Well, with that, everybody, <laughs> welcome to Craft and Draft. Pam Ochoa, Jacob Chastain, and go ahead, Jacob. You said that what you were about to, what you did today kind of ties into what we're talking about today. So... Let us know a little bit more about that. Yeah. So today, you know, I kind of just wanted to, it's that time of year where we start really talking about, you know, what we're doing for the year and everyone's prepping and getting ready. And I just kind of wanted to take a moment and because this came up a lot in my presentation today was I found myself saying, you have to trust the process. You have to trust the process. You have to trust the process. You're going to not want to trust the process. You're going to get stressed about the process. You're going to freak out when something falls apart. And so I just kept saying that. And I was like, you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why the process works and what the process is in workshop and, and why we shouldn't fear it. So that's our topic for today. But before we jump to that, I want to tell everyone that this podcast is supported by... You, you support the podcast and specifically our Patreon supporters over there. They get bonus episodes, bonus content uh, at certain tiers. They get access to certain PD like our professional development coming up this Saturday, which will be at 11 a.m. It's going to be a Zoom hangout on the 23rd. And while we are... Uh, presenting the people at the listener plus tiers get in for no additional charge and our listener tier get in for a small discount, but you can still do that. If you don't even want to be a Patreon supporter, you can still get access to that. Find those links at craft and draft and you will find uh, access to sign up and get your spot reserved. I want to say people have been asking, yes, you get the video. Even if you can't make the live Zoom, we will make sure you get access to that video afterwards and make it happen. But 
The way we're making all of this possible is from our Patreon supporters who are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, and Susan. Thank you very much for your support. You make the podcast go around and make sure that we can do this and put on trainings and everything else. If you want to support us, like I said, go check out Patreon. You get a bunch of perks, so it is worth your time and energy. But ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the conversation. Alrighty, Miss Ocho, we're talking about the process. In your experience, why why do we fear the process? What is, what is it about the process that's scary about workshop? Well, I think it's if you're really truly doing the process, you're not relying on formulas. So sometimes teachers are, at least when I first started, you know, not understanding how it worked, I would fall back. Well, I'd make the assumption these kids can't. So what I would do is I'd make sure that they could. And so by making sure they could, I'd say, okay, let's let's do the first paragraph and let's make that all tidy and let's make sure we begin with first <laughs> or whatever other transition word. And then, you know, the next paragraph will work on that. I've also done it where it's like on Monday, we do all of our pre-writing. On Tuesday, we do all of our writing. And on Wednesday, we do our editing. And on Thursday, we might share. And then Friday, we turn it in. Um, and I did those things because I didn't trust the process. I didn't think that the kids would stay focused. I thought that I would have behavior issues. And I think that's what happens with teachers. Um, you know, they're kind of afraid, if you will, sometimes, especially if they've never done it before, to step out and, and really truly trust the fact that if the students have the opportunity to write about the things that they're interested in, the things that they want to learn more about, the topics that they have discovered for themselves, they will be engaged. But it's But what you end up having is you end up having uh, you know, Sally doing one thing and Tommy doing another and Frank back here doing a third thing. And so there's nobody writing the same thing. And so it's a kind of scary when you know that you're expected to control a classroom and everybody's doing something different. So I think um, that's why they're afraid. Not because it's it's a bad thing to have some of those things in place for kids who need them, but the whole entire classroom won't need them, right? And so you really need to have a choice uh, there and and really just trust that process that they're going to really get involved. They're going to actually work and you guide them through the process. You don't necessarily walk them steps by step in a lockstep manner, um, but it sure does look more comforting with a lockstep manner, because you know, at least you know where you're going to be at on Tuesday. So that's well, kind of the thing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's part of it, uh, where it it does come down to you know, I think it's some of the, I think a lot of it really comes from the natural system of teaching, right? The the systems that we work within, and the schedules, and curriculum, and pacing guides, and everything else, testing ends up wringing its head, and so the more you feel like you have to get done, I feel like that's when choice and autonomy and letting the process really work itself out kind of get pushed away because it's like we don't have time for the process, and 
given I can just force the process, right? I can do editing one day, revision the next day, or we can do topics one day, the outline the next day. And there's, and it's, it, you know, it's that control thing. Cause that way in the teacher's head, it's like, okay, so if I do this, at least they'll get it right. They, it doesn't like in, in, like, and I don't think a lot of people actually think this, but it's almost like, you know, if I control the pace to which we move through, then I can guarantee we're all going to get to a certain place. But I think anyone that's tried that enough gets frustrated with why it doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, we yeah. did everything. Why aren't they doing better? Right. And I think, I think sometimes, um, like you said, trying to keep everybody like step. One of one of the things with our students are just like us, and that is we all have different needs, we all have different wants, we all have different uh, things that we're interested in, and uh, going just to the needs alone. Some of us work faster, aka you, than others, aka me. <laughs> I might work too slow. You were like speed it up, but. Um, but the thing is, is, is we all work at different paces. And, and part of that is most of the time I'm busy in my head percolating, thinking about things. How am I going to make this? All? I almost have to put it together in my head completely. And then I can just throw it all on the paper. It takes me a long time. So um, I should just start writing and, and doing things like that. But, uh, but that's just like our students. They each have a different way of working. And I think with as a teacher, it's my responsibility to observe those students, kind of make mental notes or even physical notes. Uh, I know that you use your your um, program and you take a lot of pictures of and things um, and notes with your, your program that you use. And so, um, but the thing is, is I think we, as a teacher, we're responsible for seeing how these kids work, being a kid observer, and then each student is treated individually based on on their process, their needs, and the things that they're interested in. I was, so one of the things I tried to drill home today, um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this in our training um, this Saturday, but our I was talking about how when I was... Like, cause we went through about two mini lessons. Um, and then I, we kind of alluded to a third because I wanted to show them kind of how a unit, how I would build a multi genre unit. Um, but I was talking about how I kept honing in that we, you know, we, we don't teach writing, we teach writers. We don't teach reading, we teach readers, right? We got to humanize what we are doing in the classroom. Kids aren't data points. They're human beings, right? We can get data from them. But I was saying, I drilled home that, you know, not every piece of data is numbers. I was like, what have I learned walking around the room? And then I looked at this person. I was like, this person is super close to their family because everything they talk about is related to this. This person has a a strong religious foundation. So what am I doing? I'm watching my students, right? And my, today the adults are my students, but I'm watching them and I experiencing them. So what does that do? That allows me to alter how I talk to them. It gives me more information that way I can better support them. And that process is something that takes time, right? It's not something, you know, it's not really a get to know you activity. It's more like getting to know people through content, right? It's the, 
I've kind of always, I wouldn't say always, I guess the last several years I've pushed back against like kind of at the beginning of the year where it's like, oh, let's do, you know, our beginning, get to know yous and name games. And that's fine. And they're useful, right? And it does break the ice a little bit. But I do try to get into content as fast as possible because I can use content to build relationships faster, right? If I'm getting their reactions to stuff, but I'm also, if I'm getting their reactions to stuff, then I'm learning them and I can take notes about where they're at, but I'm also getting valuable stuff to where I'm already assessing where they're at in that first week. So by week two, I already have a game plan for where my students are. And I'm like, yes, this is kind of the trajectory. Now it doesn't mean I'm perfect on that. It doesn't mean I'm like exact with all of it, but it's just, uh, it's it's up it that itself is a process. It's the process of kind of just knowing your students on multiple levels um within this kind of authentic framework. And uh, I don't know, I just like what you said about the, you know, learning who they are, listening to them. Um I mean, it's great formative assessment, but that that in and of itself is letting students kind of talk through something, seeing the reaction, jotting everything down. I think it it really does lead to kind of like this 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 powerhouse of a, of a wealth of knowledge that isn't just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give them a formative assessment and I'm just going to teach to what, to what the numbers tell me. It's like, what do the numbers really tell you without context? Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, I think that's a part of this process. I think that, uh, it can be scary because, you know, I told uh, today, I said, there's going to be a time if y'all jump into this, right. There's going to be a time where you do a mini lesson and you're like, all right, let's write. And no one's going to write, right? And it's going to be 25 of your students. There's going to be four of them that do decent. There's going to be one that does well because they always do well in something. There's going to be all these other kids that didn't really put words on the page. There's kind of everything. You're going to be like, ah, crap, right? And that might happen two days in a row. It might happen three days in a row. And that's when it starts getting scary. But I said, all of that tells us something, right? The whole goal of the mini lesson, at least to me, is to be a catalyst for thinking, is to be a catalyst to action in some way, whether that be an emotional reaction or uh, uh, some type of, I want to do something based on this knowledge and that process in and of itself can be scary because not every mini lesson hits, not every mini lesson inspires. We did uh, two really powerful pieces today, and when they started writing, I still had a teacher who didn't didn't connect to any of it, at least in that moment, and started writing about Starbucks. And so she <laughs> – it's like – I was like, but that's what happens. But that can be scary, right? The students are like, nah, I'm going to go this way. And if we're all about authentic – writing, right? And choice and voice. We want to do that. But at the same time, in the back of our heads, we go, oh my God, they're co- this kid's writing a 50 page fantasy novel and it's horrible. And I need them to learn how to write a sentence and that can be stressful. <laughs> but how, and I mean, I, I know you, we talked about this last year, kind of, as we were going through you, I got one of your students who were writing a novel, you know, at the time. Um, yes. but so how do you deal with those moments where, you know, you're really trying to get something going and it feels like it's almost like herding cats. You're just like, okay, no, no, no. But you're, you're trying to redirect, without smothering. Cause I feel like 
that's where a lot of this anxiety comes from, where you want it to be open, but at the same time, you're like, oh my God, we're not going any, we're not, it feels like we're not going in the right direction. Well, the way I deal with something like that is through my conferences. So I do a lot of conferencing with the kids. I probably conference, I I talk to all of them all the time. I don't do it quite like you do, I don't think, but I do either bring them up to me or I'll go sit by them. Uh, And so, for example, uh, if they're doing something like that, writing that novel, and I really want them to write that sentence and I got to make sure. So instead of like making them write a new sentence, I say, go through your little novel that you're writing and, and find the best sentence and the worst sentence that you can find that you think you've written. So they go in and they find those sentences. Okay, now write that over here. And now let's see what we can do with that. And then from there, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't ever stop them from what they're doing because if that person wants to write, at least I got them writing. And then if if they're looking at maybe a sentence and, and I can help them with that sentence or that paragraph or that piece, that part, um, that, you know, they can do description out of that. They can turn something into dialogue out of that. Uh, you know, find something about a fact in what you're writing. All right, now what I want you to do is look that up and I want you to write me an explanation about what that is. So it's still with what they're writing, but now it's an explanation. So now that's some authentic research for something that they brought in. So I think the one that you were talking about loves Roman stuff. And so uh, I was always writing about, you know, mythology in Rome, or at least I had somebody, another one. I think it was that one that you're talking about. But uh, if it's something like that, okay, well then tell me about... um, you know, something, tell me about Hercules. Tell me about, go look them up. Give me an explanation of who that person is. If I want, if I need that type of writing, if I need a dialogue, okay, which one of these can be characters? Let's choose two from your little novel that you're writing and let's do a dialogue session. Let's see if you can get a page out of that and have them just talk to each other. And so I do stuff like that. So I take what they're actually doing and then I I try to give them an exercise with it that will go along, that will fit the needs that I, I have, but yet they're still getting to write what they want. And what they're really doing is making what they're doing a little bit better. And so that's kind of how I hit that. And plus I have them write so many short pieces, so many writing pieces, you know, like short briefs, writing briefs and things like that, uh, brainstorming and things like that. So when I actually want a particular type of genre, then they've already written like six different pieces they can choose from to figure out which one best fits those elements. That's the one they choose. So that's kind of how I take it. So I take what they've already done and then I help them figure out a way to turn it into what we need it to be. Yeah, like there was, um, you know, a great example today when someone had this really deep connection. They're talking about values and how they talked about the piece was about values and whatnot. And I paused and I said, here's a thing that I would take a note on because this would be just in the back of my mind. I'd be like, when I come to you in conference, about what you're writing, and let's say you're stuck, then I'm going to bring up how you had this really deep insight in the mini lesson. I might say it right then. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea to write about. 
And I say this to I, with the students that were there. I told them, I go, guys, how often do y'all come to me with your problems? And I say, you should write about it. Or you're talking and you, <laughs> and you say something and I say, Ooh, that's a great line. And they go, you do it all the time. And I was like, and I, I told the teachers, I was like, yeah, see, they think it's annoying, but also helps them. Cause what I'm doing is teaching them that every word, thought, viewpoint could potentially be something you write about. It's all fair game. And so getting people to train that way, that's a unique kind of muscle is knowing like, oh, that the way those words sound together is interesting, right? This, this thought is something that might be worth exploring and it might not. And that is, that's a unique kind of writer muscle. And I think it helps if you're a reader too, because if you read a lot, then you kind of have a natural tendency for what sounds decent, right? Because we've had, like, I've had students where we're talking about their writing or something, and they just don't even hear how no periods affects the meaning of what they're writing, right? There's, like, no right. connection. And those are usually kids that don't read a lot, so or they don't process well while they're reading. And so they have this uh, limited viewpoint of that, so... Part of us is building that capacity. You know, what do words sound? What do we like? What what kind of language do you like? You know, there are people who despise novels that are very preachy, right? Like Ayn Rand's books. Like there's people that, well, they hate them for different reasons. But a lot of people hate her stuff because it's very preachy. But there's a lot of um, books like that. And... Here's the thing. I love those books. I love it when a book is being open about what it's trying to talk to me about. I don't need it to be behind smoke and mirrors all the time. I really don't. Um, Sometimes I think books are too flowery. I think the language is overdone and it, it ruins it, right? But at the same time... I also think books can be the opposite of that. Like I can only read so many what, you know, the the kind of the the more accessible novel, so to speak. Like I like Stephen King at times, but boy howdy does he not really have a way of words to me. He has a lot of words and he sure publishes them all the time. But he is like he still writes characters as if like they're in the sixties, but they're in modern times. Like he's like, yo, boogie but I don't I don't know a sixties phrase. I'm sorry. But you know, he just he has that and it like it sticks out like a sore thumb to me. And he's very basic sometimes. That doesn't mean the stories aren't good and the plots and stuff. I think that's fine, but Oh my Lord. Sometimes it just hits me, but I know this because I've read so much that I've developed my personal ear. It doesn't mean my opinion is correct, right? It just means that I have a specific ear for what I like. Um, and that I think is also a process, especially with students who haven't been exposed to a lot. I know we have a bunch of elementary teachers who listen to this, um, podcast, I feel like one of their challenges, which is something we have a, the same challenge, but in a different way in middle school. But one of their challenges is the fact that kids might just not have been exposed to enough literature to even know what they like, what, what sounds good. What is, what is language mean? Right. Cause a lot of them, you know, it's like story focused. It's like, Oh, what did hap- What did the character do? Are we connected to the conflict? You know, what's the problem here? But I feel like something that gets pushed to the back burner, and this is kind of our you and I soapbox every time we talk, is we just don't focus enough on the craft of writing itself. 
which is, okay, so how did the author make us feel that way, right? What words were used to evoke this emotion? And that, getting kids to think that way and really shifting that paradigm, I feel like is, I feel like that's one of the most timely processes because you can't go faster. You can't, you can only consume words at a certain rate. Um, I don't know. Do do you feel like that is one of the, the bigger hurdles we have? Yeah, I think so. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking that's where Laura Rob, I really like her read aloud because when you're trying to help a student who doesn't have the background that they need, that's where these uh, reading, that's where I use my picture books. That's where I do read alouds and stuff like that. Even in high school, when I used to do, you know, picture books, they might be more sophisticated, you know, than like uh, Rose Blanche, for example, was one that I used. uh, And it was a a picture book that was written about, um, you know, the Holocaust. And, but the thing is, is, is the way it was written, about a picture book is it's a huge story and a limited amount of space. So these authors who write a truly effective picture book, if you will, right, a trade book, whatever you want to call it, they've really have to think about the economy of the language, the efficiency of it, and the way it flows. And they have to put a lot of meaning in uh, into those a small amount of words. Does that make sense? And still get their their uh, point across. And so, I, the more the older the kid, the more sophisticated the book I would get. But the idea is that is where I would bring everybody together, and we would look at one, and we would actually talk about the language, talk about what did they do, how did they put these pieces together, how did they come across, you know, kind of what you were talking about. How did they do? what it is that they did to get you to feel the way you feel the you know is it something that you like i mean if this was music you know cuz we all know music right and we all have our taste i mean some of us are extremely opinionated about our music um you know like me i'm pretty eclectic uh i like country and i like hard rock and i like gospel and i like uh bluegrass i mean i love music i even like jazz and stuff like that so when you're uh, in the 60s, since you brought that up, you know, I love the 60s and I love the 40s. But the whole point is I have a big ear for those types of things because I, I grew up with it. My mom likes it. So that's what I was accustomed to because I have a lot of background in it because guess what? My mother and my dad listened to all of these things and I enjoyed it because they enjoyed it. So um, so where I'm going with that is I... I heard those things from my parents, which has helped, help. and then, of course, music classes and things like that, that helped me develop my ear for music. You have an ear for music. And I think if we can take that music and then look at the words, right, and say, it's the same way when we read. It's the same way when we write. We get that ear, as you're talking about, for that. So in a picture book, this is how I would say, "Do you? is this something you enjoy? Do you not enjoy it? Do you like the way they put the words together? What do you not like? And just depending on... Uh, the level of the student would be uh, would help me determine the questions that I would ask, but that's how you develop because those that background uh, because you have to and, and in our situation we have a huge migration population right you know a migrant population um, 
you know, my sister was here as uh, y'all know, because she started talking on one of our things the other day, but uh, she was here from another place, but she grew up here and she's like, this place has really changed. It's the first time she'd really spent more than a week here. Um, And she was like, I did not realize how much uh, the population demographic has changed in our region. And and there's people from all over the world here. And uh, as a result, their background information is, is all different. And our students come with us with a varying degree of, of background information, but everybody has something different. I don't have the same background that they did. So I could share what I wanted from my perspective, but it wouldn't be, it might not connect to them because it's totally foreign to the way they, you know, for, for, because of they're from a different place. So what I like to do is use these picture books, use uh, short stories, use um, even video, you know, little vignettes, from uh, YouTube or, you know, all different kinds of things to get them a variety as fast as possible, uh, a variety of, of type of text and information and words so that they can develop a background so that the class is a little more common in their background. So that's that's how I would, would deal with that uh, because just reading the, doing like self-selected reading only doesn't really build a huge background because they stay in a particular genre too long that they like. It's hard, you know, so you have to almost push them out of that genre so they don't really get that background. So you have to do that to me through the mini lessons and through group share. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a couple thoughts. My, I do agree that that that's the sweet spot of the mini lesson. And that's why I tend to do so many I, I told them today, I said, my goal is to do 10 mini lessons in the first two weeks. I said, sometimes I hit Did that. Did they panic? Well, some, one of them, <laughs> they went, whoa. Like, <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> but I said, what? I was like, when I say mini, I mean mini. I was like, we went through these and I was like, we did 15 minutes a piece on these, right? And this is me walking you through it. I was like, with kids, like I do, I let the conversation roll and we hit on a bunch of stuff. But once I kind of hit the standard, I'm out. Right. I don't spend too much more time because I want to expose them to so many different things, especially getting them into just a bunch of different genres. And so what that means for me is I try to I I try to do it that way. So I'm all for the the mini lesson as the the vehicle to um you know, expose students to a variety of texts and different ways of hearing things and and not just here, read this, but read silently, read with the partner, read out loud. I read, you read, right? And breaking it down in that way, they hear mm-hmm. the language of something. I think that's why I love slam poetry too, is that it literally shapes because the, the performance is a part of the piece. And so it's, it's a multi-level, uh, experience, right? The way they say something, the way they, uh, interact while they're speaking, the language itself, how it's structured, all of that shapes uh, students' understanding of what language can be and what it is. Um, I also think that sometimes that independent reading, as much as we'd love it to, it really doesn't expose them to a lot, especially if um, you have students who are very in the zone of what they like, um, which um, it, here's the thing. Most of us are, 
right? There's very few people who read a bunch of different genres. Um, and we kind of fall into our niches. And so that is something that we kind of have to, to push steadily, you know, without being too abrasive. Um, but one way I've done that is I had a group one time where they were super smart and they were, they, they read all the time, but they only read what they wanted to read and tons of them read fantasy. And I love fantasy, but I was like, we got to read something else. And they're like, well, I don't want to read something else. And I'm like, but you know, you can't just read this. I mean, you can, but you know, you got to have knowledge outside of this one genre, at least a little bit. And so what we did is we did genre book clubs. And I know we've kind of briefly talked about this before and the way I've done it a few different ways, but one of the ways I did this genre book club is I put, I purposely pick genres that a lot of them don't read like sports books. And I'm talking like sports novels and stuff, not like the books that, you know, we send the the boys that don't like to read over to the Michael Jordan section and they pick a, a book and read about his statistics. I'm talking about something that is, you know, it really does have some, some substance in terms of narrative drive and whatnot. Um, but put that in there. I put, you know, some nonfiction and what I did, though, is students drew from a hat, and that's what they got. And I had this one girl. She got sports fiction. She was so mad. She was like, I'm not doing it. And I go, yes, you will. And it's like, no, I'm not doing it. And I was like, look, give me a chance. I was like, if we cannot find you something, honestly, uh, then we'll we'll have a, a different conversation. But I think I'll get you. And I ended up getting her into Jim Candy, which people don't know. You know, it's a book about a boy who's in football and he gets addicted to steroids. So it's kind of like a drug addiction book. It's not very graphic. Like it's it's very kind of like mid grade. It's not like a you know really intense drug addiction book, but it deals with those themes and whatnot. And our. Uh, she ended up like falling in love with it. And she was like, you were right, Chastain. And then I, she ended up telling other people to read it. So I ended up having like this group of kids who never read sports fiction really dive into this. And I did the same thing with historical novels, right? Countdown and Revolution. And I think there's a third one. I like Revolution better. But Countdown, I think, was the only one out at the time. Students got that. And they're like, oh, my God, I hate history. And I was like, I'm going to show you something. And, and Countdown and Revolution, you know, it's a, the, they're both big pictures or books that have – it's a thick book, but a lot of it's pictures. But it's like primary source pictures. So it's fiction. But then they have like these images that show you what's happening during the time. So in Revolution, it's happening kind of in the civil rights era. So it shows like – it has like newspaper clippings of like, you know, what the KKK said, KKK said or like uh, something a politician did that was very pro like segregation and whatnot. And they're like, oh, my God, this is real. And I'm like, yeah, but look at the date. I was like, to you, this might seem that long time ago, but this is like, I mean, if your parents are old enough, they experienced this to some degree and definitely your grandparents did, right? And so it was like this big shock. But because I kind of set this up and I didn't tell them what book to read, I just gave them the genre and then I kind of relied on my own relationship with them to find something. And I did this later. Like this was like January, February time, right? I didn't do this in October. Um, It was later where that relationship had already been built. We've already read a lot. I just wanted to kind of push their knowledge a little bit. And that was something that I just thought was really, um, I just thought it was really effective. I haven't, I've got, I haven't done it in probably 
two or three years. And I think it was probably because of the kids I had, but it was also because I think I've gotten better at nudging them in conferences to where if they're, if I feel like they're kind of spinning their wheels in a, you know, in the kind of the same genre, you know, I might start showing them different things, right? I might pull up a mini lesson and see who has a reaction and be like, oh, you know, this is a book, right? And then sometimes it's targeted or especially when they finish something, I do this. I'm like, here's the thing. You loved that book, right? They're like, yes, I did. I want something exactly like it. I'm like, okay, so that's never going to happen. I, we finish books all the time. I'm still out for the next biography that will hit me as much as the Hamilton biography. And I've yet to find it. Right. And that's just, that's what great books do. And especially for kids when they read something and it's something they've, it changed their lives to an extent. They're like, Oh my God, I just want more of that. And I'm like, yeah, here's the thing. Sometimes what you need is a different genre because it's, it's going to, the story is going to hit different. And so I can get them in that way. But that process, right. The, the reading side of, of that connection. I don't know. Have you ever done that where you, you, I know you've done genre study, so to speak, but have you done that to where you kind of put limitations on their genres of what they needed to read? Well, I've done it where you can't like, I keep up with their genres or what they've been reading mainly. So that's part of my notes. And, uh, so I'll do this. Uh, you're not allowed to read like, you can always choose the way I have it. You always choose a book that you can, you know, that you want to. And that way they want to choose that genre they can. And then I'll say, okay, but the second book cannot be a genre you've been reading. It's got to be a brand new genre that I haven't seen you read all year. And so then that's what they have to do is they come and have to check in with me and show me where how they know that's a different genre, what, you know, kind of elements, you know, what did they find that made sure that it was different? Of course, now we label the libraries, you know, I did all that during the Dewey Decimal System where you didn't really have labels on the different genres. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like fiction has all these subgenres in it. So you might have a fiction section, but you didn't have all the different like horror or um, romance or, you know, whatever you didn't have. Now they, uh, our librarians like to label it. So mine was more of a, when I used to, at the beginning, when I did that, it was more of a mystery. I had to actually show them where to find their information at and things like this. And so then they'd have to check, is this what you want? Is this different? Have I read this one yet? You know, that kind of thing. So I have done that. And some of them, uh, you know, every once in a while, it's a gold mine because they'll go, Mr. Charlie, I did not know that I like, you know, fantasy or I didn't know I like science fiction. This is awesome. Is there another, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to start reading some of these more. And so you can kind of see them. And then, you, of course, you have a few kids that just no matter what, they're going to stay with um, the Dork Diaries no matter what you do. <laughs> No, or, or am uh, you know? I almost I lost the uh, the name of it. But anyway, you know what I'm amulet. talking about. They just yeah, amulet. I was afraid I was going to say it wrong, but uh, but you know they might stay with that one thing, and it's like oh, it's you can't get them out of it. So um, those are difficult to do. So you almost have to put a restriction to get them out of it. Yeah, and once again, you know, to kind of go back to the beginning is. It's all a process. And if you set up your classroom for the process to work and you use your mini lesson to kind of fill in the gaps as the process does its deal. And then if you really start to know your students, then your mini lessons get more effective and it becomes more targeted and your conferences get better. Then the process speeds up. 
right? And you never know how fast that's going to go. I have six weeks where it's like, oh my God, we're fall, we're we are going on all cylinders right now. Kids are riding, they're engaged. I'm just doing one great mini lesson after the next. And I also have times where it's like, man, the kids are bored. I'm bored. Nothing's really happening. There's no good writing. Everyone hates their books. Like it's like. You know, and that's usually like when it's time for the break, right? Spring break time, Christmas break. Uh, Sometimes it's not. It just depends. And all kids are different. You know, I've had really long stretches where things go well. And I've had long stretches where it's like pulling teeth at time. But it's, it's, it's going back to, you know, you can't make time go by faster as much as we would want to. Um, And I think we've all had that frustration of. I'm going to be really strict. I'm going to be on them. And it's like, I don't know. Does it really make the learning better? I mean, they might turn in something, but it's really is like, is the learning better? Are they learning at greater rates or am I just controlling them? You know, am I, are they Mm -hmm. staying out of the gutter or did I put bumpers on? So they really don't have to learn how to bowl. And I know you're a bowler. So I pulled that one out just for you. Very good. Very good. I I think I'm getting right. need bumpers again. Well, I probably would I haven't bowled in a long time. So if you, if for ending advice, Miss Ochoa, what do you, what do you have to say about people jumping into this process, uh, whether they're doing it for the first, second or 25th time, what is it that we should remember as practitioners of the workshop format? What is something that we should take into account about the process? Well, you mentioned it uh, when it came to the mini lessons. Keep your mini lessons many, many, many lessons. Uh, I would say make sure that um, when you want, kind of monitor yourself. And when you find yourself wanting to go and take over the writing for them, that's where you got to pull back and go, okay, tell me what you want to do with your writing. Even though you want to do something with it, you, you've got to you got to have some questions there that's going to pull the kids along, not necessarily push them down the lane, so to speak. So um, try to keep it as authentic as possible, and definitely trust the process uh, in reading and writing. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen, for this episode of the Craft and Draft podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you are embracing the process in your own life. Hopefully we will see some of y'all in the zoom this Saturday at 11 a.m. For those of you wondering, we're going to send out that link. Um, we'll probably have it already sent out by the time you hear uh, this podcast. We just had to set up some things on the back end to make sure that y'all had the right link and everything was working. Um, but that will probably be out to those of you who are already registered. That link is just going to exist in the Patreon um, for those of you at that tier. That way we can just have it. And for people who are joining from outside of the Patreon, we'll obviously get those out to you. If you have any questions about the the training or anything else, feel free to reach out. Uh, Come, even if you want to just hang out with us, it's going to be a Zoom. So you guys can literally, you know, we're planning on answering some questions if y'all have any or addressing that. So, you know, if I think there's several people who have paid for access, but they might not make it or they're busy that day. So it might be a nice little small session. So you might be able to ask more questions than you think you'll be able to, um, which would be really cool. But we are recording. So keep that in mind. So if you want to be someone who asks questions, uh, remember this video might go out to several people. So, you know, 
know, come and, you know, make sure you're dressed appropriately or whatever, you know, whatever you're comfortable with for other people seeing you because other people will see unless I guess, of course, you don't cam up and we just hear your voice. But in any case, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for supporting us over there on Patreon. If that is you and that is Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, and Susan. Come back next week for another podcast. We're going to be diving into a bunch of stuff. We're about to start talking all the prep stuff because it's almost time. You guys, we are almost back in session, but we're not fully back yet. So enjoy the rest of your summer if that is you. And as always, know that we are here for you. <laughs>